You're listening to episode 177 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. Having wrapped up our series of conversations on the five masculine instincts, we are kicking off our author interviews once again. I've got a great episode for you today. I had a chance to sit down and talk with Russ Ramsey, who's actually been on the show before, but joins me now to talk about a new book he has out this month on art and faith. I've long time been a fan of art museums and art documentaries, and uh, it was a great conversation about why art is valuable, how to look at a painting, what, what you should be looking for when you look at a piece of art. And Russ uh, has a way of offering you the artist's stories, their backgrounds and connections of faith that make each of the pieces he highlights in his book really powerful and interesting. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation, whether you're an art lover or not. And who knows, maybe it'll pique your interest. As always, thanks for listening. Well, I'm joined on the podcast today by author and pastor Russ Ramsey. Uh, it's actually his second time on the podcast, so it's a privilege to have him back, be able to talk again. Russ is a pastor and an author living in Nashville, Tennessee. His books include Struck, the Retelling the Story series, which we had a t- chance to talk about probably a couple of years ago now. He joins me today, though, to talk about a book that is soon to be release- released, a new book, Rembrandt is in the Wind, Learning to Love Art Through the Eyes of Faith. Aside from his books, Russ has also written for The Rabbit Room, The Gospel Coalition, Crossway, among many other blogs and podcasts and printed media. Russ, it's a a privilege and honor to have you back on the Pastor Writer Podcast for a second time. Can't wait to talk about the book. Uh, Thanks for having me back. I've been looking forward to this. Well, uh, one of the things I've I've always loved about following your work is, of course, you're a great writer. But anybody who has followed you online knows that you are an art lover. Uh, one of my favorite things for a long time was I think they were always on Wednesdays. You had sort of an art Wednesday. You'd post on Instagram and write some thoughts, reflections, sometimes even devotional in nature about yep, a particular going on. yeah a particular piece of art. So uh, Russ Ramsey one I think is your Instagram handle. So people should definitely follow. But I'm curious. Uh, you're a pastor and a writer. When did art come up for you? Was it something you've loved since you were young? How did you get interested in art? I mean, I was always I was always somebody who would doodle on notepads and things like that. I'm not a great visual artist myself, but I was always I always loved signing up for the art classes. And uh, but I just I had really good art teachers in middle school and high school who um, I grew up in a small farming community in Indiana and uh, had these art teachers that really wanted to instill in us kids a a lifelong appreciation of art. And one of the ways they did that was by not overcomplicating it for us, but by, um, you know, trying to put in front of us, a you know, a steady stream of artists that, that kids might say, Oh, that's cool. (laughs) You know? And so, so, um, so yeah, it was just kind of, you know, having, and just seeing the way that my art teachers in particular loved art themselves uh, was, was something that was compelling to me, even as a kid. And so, um, I found Van Gogh in middle school and high school, and my high school art teacher said uh, to the class, you know, if you want to have a lifelong appreciation of art, uh, just find an artist that you like and just pay attention to them for the rest of your life. And they'll, you know, they'll introduce you to their colleagues uh, in the museums, and they'll introduce you to their mentors and the people that they drew inspiration from. And over over time, you will develop a an ever deepening understanding of, of these particular artists and, um, and also of artists that they connect you with. And so it's just, that's something I've done. 
Um, I don't have an art history degree. I didn't take, I was a psychology major and then an uh, MDiv student, you know, in seminary. And so it's all self-taught for me, but there's something just that I'm, I'm endlessly curious about uh, why there are certain artists and works of art that his history has recognized as being upper echelon um, in, in its transcendence, beauty, and power. Yeah, I, I'm really intrigued by this idea of finding an artist and diving deep, and then this idea of that artist introducing you to their influences, the people yeah. sort of around them on the wall. Um, uh-huh. That's often the advice I give people who are wanting to get more into reading: is find an author you like and just read everything that they've written. You know, if you're a CS mm-hmm. Lewis fan, just do it all. Work yourself through all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, that was my experience. I've always sort of loved art. My wife and I, you know, when we travel, there's almost always an art museum uh, on the itinerary if we can make it happen. Uh, and for me, it was it was Rembrandt. Part of what caught my attention about this book was yeah. um, I I remember when I was in Bible college writing a paper on uh, in Genesis chapter twenty two Abraham's call to sacrifice Isaac, and coming across that painting of Rembrandt's, and was so struck by it. Uh, there's the, the the part of that painting where the knife is suspended in the air, and there was something yeah. that really struck me about that that the knife would fall. You know, it was out of his hand, uh, but it wouldn't be on Isaac. You know, by the biblical story. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually writing in my paper, which was a very unusual thing for a hermeneutics paper to inc- include sort of the commentary of an artist like Rembrandt on the passage. Yeah. But that opened up just exactly like you described. I got really into everything Rembrandt had done. I mean, such a great biblical painter. But then that sort of got me into all the old masters and then started getting into impressionist artists. And and uh, yeah, it, it, the world has sort of opened up in many ways like it does with reading as you step into a mm-hmm. conversation isn't it funny how when you think about kind of any sphere of life, it, it sort of works that way, right? Is that we, we sort of grab the end of a thread and we start pulling on it. And before you know it, we, you know, like even, even culturally today, there's a lot of people who know a lot more about Ukraine uh, than they might have two months ago. Um, and uh, I, I think, I think anything, you know, it's, it's, it's this measure of curiosity uh, that I think has been central for me. Um, to want to pull the thread and to and to see where it takes me. You know, some of the chapters in the book came about because, you know, like, for example, there's a chapter on Caravaggio. And um, because I have a, a reproduction of his um, painting, The Incredulity of St. Thomas, and it's that very famous painting where there are four people, it's Jesus, and he's guiding Thomas's finger into the wound in his side, and ever since I was young, I've just loved that painting and, and kind of felt like I was getting away with something by even looking at it, you know, because it's it's a little mm-hmm. it's a little grotesque, but not like but not inappropriate grotesque. But it's just it's you know, there's it, it really is a powerful image that that uh, conveys that moment of Jesus telling Thomas to put his finger into his wound. And um and so on that alone, I decided I wanted a chapter about Caravaggio, not knowing anything about Caravaggio. And I, and I wondered if that painting would be kind of a centerpiece of his collection. Turns out it really isn't historically. Uh, it's the gateway. It's the one that got me in. But in investigating Caravaggio's life, I had no idea where it was going to take me. And where it ended up taking me was, was ended up being one of my favorite chapters to research and write because it's such an unexpected story about the paradox of corruption and transcendence and grace that can coexist and does coexist in the heart of one person and really in the hearts of all of us, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into, I do want to get into some of the artists you include in the book and, and a few questions about your own appreciation for it. I guess I should probably set the book up a little bit better as well, too. We jump right in naturally. <laughs> but the, uh, the book, uh, you know, it opens by talking about uh, the, the, the need for art, the, the value of beauty, both as humans, but particularly those of faith. Uh, but then you go through and you uh, you identify, I believe it's nine, if I'm remembering right, nine mm-hmm. artists, and you use those artists in their work, partly historically talking about the artists themselves, but also uh, talking about lessons from their work. And you apply this not just in a devotional manner, like, you know, hey, hey here's a biblical painting. Let me unpack that biblical story. But you're really using the artist's work and life as mm-hmm. lessons on faith that, that come through in their artwork. When did this book form in your head? You've been posting and writing about art online for a long time. When did it come about and and how how did these nine particular artists come together for you? So I'm part of a, a, um, and have been for years, part of a group of artistic people in Nashville uh, called The Rabbit Room, which Andrew Peterson started back in 2007. And we do a conference every year. And and, uh, I wanted to give a talk about art one year as a breakout session during the conference. And so um, so I, I got into the, um, the, the Rembrandt painting that's, that the title is based on the storm on the sea of Galilee and did a deep dive into that and wrote an essay. It's basically sto- long form storytelling. And so, um, so I did that, I put together a PowerPoint presentation, uh, with about 70 images that would just sort of happen in the background that were related to the things I was talking about, um, and loved it. Uh, and then the next year was coming around and they said, do you want to do that? Do you want to do an art talk again? And I thought, yes, but shoot, I don't have another one. <laughs> so, so I wrote another one about Van Gogh and did that. And then I wrote another one about Michael, Michelangelo. And, uh, pretty soon I had like four and a half of them done and then COVID hit. And I realized, okay, if I finish this fifth one, it's, it's half of a book. You know, if I wanted to have a nice tidy 10 chapter book at a good word count. And so, um, so I just kind of buckled down during COVID in my, in my free time, used the, the time that I would have spent driving around for work, uh, and just, just cranked out the, not, I didn't crank them out, but I spent, just kind of did a deep dive into the others. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it started off, they started off as talks, uh, and then about midway into the con- development of the content, I shifted into, uh, thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to finish this off as a book. And so some of them are talks I haven't given yet, but they all have, they all do have actually PowerPoint presentations now. And my favorite way really to deliver the content, um, is live, uh, in person with, with, um, you know, the slides, because it's, uh, it's a, it's a pretty fun way to, to, to tell a tale. Yeah, I'm sure. And get to experience some together, see them. Uh, there was something I really loved in the book in the way that the tone was obviously Christian in nature, but I think anybody who loves art would find it an interesting read. It's not, um, it, 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 it's a serious book about art, but it's also a serious book about faith and, and neither one seems to suffer for it. And neither one sort of, uh, indulged at the other's expense. What role has art played in your life as a, just a believer, a Christian, but then also the role it's played as a, as a pastor as well. Yeah. Well, I think I think anybody who is trying to understand and draw closer to the creator of the world that we know, um, the pursuit of beauty has to be part of it because beauty is everywhere around us. And it's a it's a characteristic of his nature. And so um, so, you know, for for a Christian, I feel like it's it's not just a um, um, 
a privilege that we have to pursue beauty and engage with beauty, but I think it's a, it's an obligation we have if we want to um, really know God as he truly is. Uh, as a pastor, you know, I, I, I feel this way about art and story that both of them uh, are uh, Trojan horses for truth that you can slip a lot of things past people's defenses by showing them a Rembrandt painting uh, or two, or by telling them a story. It was Jesus' primary method of teaching was storytelling. And good art does that. It tells a story in a single frame or in a single sculpture or what have you. And um, so for me as a pastor, I, you know, one of the things I want is I want our congregation to be surrounded by beauty everywhere they look and surrounded by things that maybe help unfold the story that's in the pages of scripture. So using art as a biblical literacy tool. Um, and so we just, we just built a, a new facility. Uh, we've been meeting in a hotel for three years. We're, we're three and a half years old as a church, as a congregation. And um, we just moved into a uh, converted office complex that we, that we turned into space for us. And um, one of the things that I did is I, I decorated the inside to look like an art museum. So it's it's reproductions, high quality reproductions of famous works of art lining the walls with little plaques next to them, um, kind of talking about their providence and a little bit of the story behind the paintings. And then I'll use them in sermons often. And and uh, um, but we just you know, it's but then when, you know, it's between ser- before the service or after, you know, people will kind of be walking around and looking at art and uh, reading the little plaques on the wall and taking it in and, and over time accumulating um, these work, kind of adding these works to their own, you know, personal collection that they carry around in their hearts. And so um, it's, it's something that, that I try to keep in front of people uh, and in front of myself all the time, because I really think it's just such a great help. Um, And I think, you know, and part of it being, being uh, art being such an experiential thing, um, I really am am reticent to try to try to draw a lot of ap- life application. I feel like the the art kind of does its own work, um, just as the spirit moves through through his word, and and uh, so it's sufficient for me to just present people with art um, and let them engage with it, rather than having to, you know, kind of be be too on the nose with with how the gospel is represented there. I feel like it's something that just kind of resides in our minds and. And we unpack over time. I am curious. Uh, one of the ways I tend to think of painters is I think of them as commentators, which for pastors, I know there's probably a lot of pastors listening. Mm-hmm. To me, is a helpful way of framing it in the same way that I, I value certain commentators helping me understand what's happening in scripture. And that I think art can be a kind of commentary, sometimes on scripture, sometimes on life, on culture, on society. Um, some people, when they look at a painting, just think of it as an image. Uh, do you see it as an image? Do you see it as a commentary that the, the artists themselves, how do you, how do you think about what a painting is, a sculpture is when you look at a piece of art? Yeah. You know, I think, and that's one of the reasons why I do this art Wednesday thing is, is, is I want to really kind of help people cultivate some skill in just sort of taking in works of art, because, you know, you mentioned the Rembrandt sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, it is very much commentary. I mean, the fact that the knife is in the air, that, 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 you know, you have this, you know, and there's, and, and the father has his hand on his son's neck, basically. And there's this moment, um, you know, it, he's not just telling you the story of that time in Genesis when God told Abraham to take Isaac up on the Mount Moriah. 
He's showing us a very precise moment in that story, as though that moment is kind of the heart of everything. And uh, and so that's the commentary, right? Is somebody could say, I'm going to paint a picture of, you know, well, that's a good example of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Okay, well, what's the picture going to be? Uh, is it going to be them packing for the trip? Is it going to be finding the ram in the thicket? Is it, you know, what's it going to be in there? It's it's the substitution. It's the moment of substitution. And uh, so, you know, I think that's the thing. And also when we may not realize it, when we're looking at a painting that we're being, um, uh, that the artist is taking us on a journey, but they, but they are, uh, we, you know, we, we always look at a painting um, just because of the way the human mind is wired, we'll, we'll kind of look at a painting in a certain sequence. You know, our eyes will generally go someplace first. And then from there, it, it will direct our eye to the next thing and the next thing. And most of the time, people look at a painting in a very similar sequence, which is a way of, you know, reading a, a almost a, a five or six page picture book in a second, uh, where a narrative unfolds just by nature of the way you take in the subject matter of the painting. And so artists are clever that way. Uh, you know, they, they sort of work you uh, without, without you necessarily knowing that's happening. I like this idea of, of accumulating a skill set for understanding art. And you do that. There's a really helpful sort of appendix chapter at the back where you even get into how to look at a piece of art and what you do. But this idea that you can, there are certain things you can learn to notice or pay particular mm-hmm. attention to. Maybe for yeah. somebody who this is relatively new, maybe um, sort of even as you and I described early on, you know, this was true for me at a point too. Like, I I, I want to understand this better. There's something I'm drawn to here. What do, what do I make of this? What do I do with it? And sure. recognizing there's art now, I appreciate that before I never thought much of or would have even caught my eye. What is it a person does when they walk up? Let's take a painting. They walk up yeah. to a painting in a museum. People are standing around looking at it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's saying what to do with it. We're looking at it. What What do you do when you look yeah. at a piece of art? Well, a couple of things I do is one is, and this may sound really funny, but I, I just look at it. You know, like I like I'll give myself a minute to say, okay, don't rush yourself. Just kind of take it in um, and, you know, kind of ask myself, what's jumping out? What are the questions that, I, that I'm wondering about, the things I don't understand maybe about this painting um, or this work of art? Uh, what are the things that draw me to it? Uh, and, then, and then I will oftentimes also just kind of pay attention to others in the room. So if you're in, in an art museum, I'll pay attention to others in the room and say, okay, how are other people? What are other people in this room responding to right now? And is there anybody having an encounter with a work of art that that I'm curious about? So I may kind of sidle up next to them and rarely will. I'm not the guy that will ever really say anything to, to a stranger in an art museum, sure, but I'll, sure. I'll try to pick up on something that's going on there. Also, I'm a big fan of reading the plaque on the wall next to the painting, um, because if you do that over time, uh, one of the things that you will get is you'll get kind of a growing vocabulary about art. Uh, you know, in terms of you'll start to understand that that use of light and dark in a painting is a very, a very uh, uh, common part of the vocabulary of painting. You know, that artists, when, when they when they, you know, do extremes between light and dark, it's part of how they're telling the story and, and they're doing that on purpose. And so you'll develop sort of a vocabulary for how to look at art, things to notice, things to look for. And then it's, you know, it's you're you're, you're kind of reading a little. uh you know, a little digest next to the painting. And you read enough of those, you're going to start to develop a uh, a general familiarity with 
um, the eras in which artists painted, the significance of things they painted. You'll see that some artists included this thing and that thing meant this. And then in another painting, you'll see that thing again. And you'll say, oh, uh, when, when artists would paint you know, a dog into a painting, it meant this. And so I see a dog here. So that's something I'm supposed to be reading in. Um, so, you know, a lifelong appreciation of art, uh, is rewarded, uh, in this way, you know, that you sort of develop some familiarity with things and, it, and it's not super cryptic. It's not really hard to access. It's just, it's just kind of, you know, taking the time it takes to, to get familiar with something that has been previously unfamiliar and, uh, but, but it's, it's a rewarding pursuit for sure. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You uh, at the beginning talked about your own your own art in that you you've dabbled, you've done some, though you would not describe yourself. I think you said as a as an artist. Um, I think one of the downfalls of the way society is right now is everybody has to sort of be a professional to do something. I mean, mm. I think it's true of music, it's true of writing, it's certainly true of art. Uh, you know, maybe you take an elementary class, and then if you're not great at it, you stop doing it. And I think there's some degree for me that not being that great at art, but liking to sort of play around with it has made me appreciate those who are really great at it in, yeah. in more ways as well. Yeah. I had a friend who worked, he was a designer, worked for Hallmark. Um, and uh, one of the things he used to say, and one of the ways he raised his kids is he said, drawing is a learned skill. Uh, we may think it's a talent, but it's really a learned skill. Like there's talent that comes in later, but if you want to draw a human face, that's a learned skill because human faces have certain proportions and there are certain things. If you understand vanishing point and, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the ratio of where a nose is versus eyes on a human, that's just something you can learn. Anybody can learn to do that. Uh, it's like learning math. Um, in some respects, it takes, it takes, you know, some kind of understanding the, the fundamental mechanics uh, and then some just training your hand uh, to, to do certain things. I've always been encouraged by that because I think, okay, well, I'm I'm in my 40s now, so at any point, I guess I could pick that up and and try to learn it as a as a, and if I approached it as just well, I'm trying to learn a skill here that has some basic principles. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure I could improve, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think you know I I can my art now is writing and uh, you know and and preaching. Those are my kind of the things that get that creative bandwidth for me. Um, but I do wonder someday I might, I might take up painting someday when, when life maybe moves at a different pace, uh, than it does right now. And, and I have a place to do it, but, uh, but man, I, I, I love unpacking and digging into the stories behind, um, the art that exists in the world. It's just wonderful. Yeah, I feel very similar. Um, it's uh, one of the worst questions to ask an author. I understand. Start asking about favorite chapters in the book. Uh, they're all favorite, right? But right. were there were there particular authors? I mean, it's interesting. Um, or artists. I know that you you came to it through the lectures. So you were doing Rembrandt. You were doing uh, Van Gogh. Did you, are there certain chapters that you look back on and think um, those were particularly meaningful for you? Maybe because of the artist story or because of some of the faith lessons you're drawing out of them. Yeah, the um, that's a great question. The the Michelangelo chapter, which is the second chapter, uh, is my favorite to deliver as a talk um, because it's it's uh, he was a paradox. Michelangelo was probably an insufferable human being in a, in a lot of ways, um, but uh, there's something that was captured in Michelangelo's David that. Um, 
I spoke at a college recently and I talked, I gave the Michelangelo talk. And one of the things I said in my preface was I said, um, here's, I believe that Michelangelo's David is the single greatest artistic achievement by an individual in the history of humanity. <laughs> that was the, that was the statement I threw out there. I followed it up with, it's not, it's not in my top 10 favorites, but I think it's the single greatest artistic achievement ever accomplished by an individual person. And I went into how it's a statue. It's three-dimensional, not two-dimensional, how it's made. It's marble, which means all you can do is subtract. You can't add back to it. So if you were making a bronze sculpture and you made a mistake, no big deal. You just fix it with clay and recast and you're good. Um, but Michelangelo's David is almost, it's just perfect. Uh, and, and it's, and it's a, it's a perfect naked human form. There's nothing to disguise any of the imperfection and um and and yet it's made of this material that's that's wasting away and because of the the um the weight of the torso pressing down on these legs that it's an inevitability that one day it's going to break uh and um and so kind of getting into that story of Michelangelo making this thing that people for 500 years have gone around the world to find uh, and to stand in front of, have given their vacation days and their, and their uh, money and um, to go be in the presence of this thing that is because we're, 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 there's something in us that wants to be in the presence of glory that wants to be in the presence of, of perfection. Uh, And, and yet any version of that that we might find in this world is a version that is wasting away in some capacity, even Michelangelo's David. And when it, when it falls, it will explode uh, because of the nature of the material, (laughs) you know? So it's, it's uh, uh, so that chapter was, was really um, one where I didn't know where it was going to go. Really didn't know where any of these were going to go, but as it kind of unwound um, it was, it's, it's very poignant for me to, to think about it. And when I, when I talk about it with other people, it's, it's a, it's a powerful one for me. Yeah. I feel it as you describe it. And I think it's a good example of somebody leading you into an experience of a piece of art can profoundly Mm -hmm. change the way you, you look at it. I mean, I guarantee anybody who immediately now goes and looks at Michelangelo's David is going to be thinking about it in probably a richer and deeper way, just for having sort of listened to you unpack some of your observations of it. I think what you did describes really well what happens in the book. Um, you also earlier mentioned that Caravaggio was sort of a, a surprise for you, maybe one that you came to without as much preconceived ideas or knowledge of his work. Uh, what was what was particularly surprising or that you found meaningful as you dug deeper into his his art? Well, uh, it was that he was a murderer, <laughs> you know? um, a complex so he, figure yeah. Well, obsessed yeah, so, with Bible paintings, but, but not yes, apparently yeah. living them. Yeah. So he, he has these really kind of transcendent, powerful, insightful biblical images that he painted the, the calling of St. Matthew, the incredulity of St. Thomas, the beheading of John the Baptist in which, you know, his, his head is the, no, the, the, well, yeah, there's that. And then David with the head of uh, Goliath and his, his face is on Goliath's head and, you know, things like this that are just profound. But then, but then when he wasn't painting, he was blowing through all of his commission money on women and liquor and, and, uh, you know, carousing at night and, and getting in brawls. And he, and he, 
and he stabbed some people to death and, you know, seemingly killed a police officer with a hit by hitting him in the head with a rock. And, and, and he would have to kind of move from city to city because warrants for his arrest and execution would be out. And so he'd have to leave town and, and uh, travel up, up and down what is Italy now, you know? Um, but he, so, <laughs> so getting into that was really uh, fascinating and, and his story ends just in so tragically um, but one of his, one of the commentators on his life said, um, said, you know, Caravaggio lived his entire life, uh, between carnival and Lent or in, in either carnival or Lent. And there was nothing in between. And, uh, it's such a profound picture. And one of the reasons I, I really love his story, a couple of reasons I love his story is, um, I didn't want the book to involve any hagiography, which is, um, biographies written about saints to show why they're saints. So I didn't want to whitewash or, or try to, try to, um, um, revise history to, to redeem anybody's bad character. Uh, if it was there, I was going to tell that story. Um, and yet at the same time, I think Caravaggio is this extreme picture of something that all of us can relate to. And that is that we are all at the same time pictures of corruption and grace, you know, that we all have this incredible capacity for darkness. And yet we all are people who um, have experienced and wanted to draw near to transcendent beauty and have wondered about things beyond this world. And and uh, so Caravaggio's life and art are kind of a paradox in that sense. And I I relate to the paradox. Yeah, I think it's a uh, uh, one of the great things about these artists is they are all like so many of the biblical characters. To be honest, they all they all have human complexity to them. Um, you're right. The more I mean, from Van Gogh to to Rembrandt to Caravaggio to as you said with Michelangelo. I mean, these are these are real humans. And sometimes you wonder too if the art doesn't. There's something about being great at art that that also makes life itself complicated. <laughs> the human side of <laughs> yeah. it really complicated because they all yeah. do seem to have these very complicated sort of wrestling experiences with their own humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of them were were kind of the the pop stars of their day, you know. So, um, so Michelangelo, Rembrandt, Caravaggio, all these guys were were famous. I mean, they really were pop stars uh, for for doing what they did. Um, and many of them behaved as such, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's interesting. In the same way that so many of our stars today can in one moment have these profound reflections about life and then the next seem to to live in the shallowest forms of it. Yep. Yeah. What's Paul Simon say? Every generation throws its heroes up the pop charts. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. I had never thought of art, those artists that way, but I think you're right. Um, the book ends with a chapter on uh, the value of becoming a master at something, mastery. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, but I didn't see that chapter coming in that it's it's obviously clearly about art. Um, you're writing about these masters of art. But it also is it's it seems like you're writing to something more broad in that chapter about any great pursuit like these masters have so often in all the complexity we just described lived their lives towards. And you connect it to this idea of joy, that there is a connection between becoming better, becoming a master of something and the joy of it. Um, Maybe you could unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So I I had kind of a light go on where I realized any every teacher is an art teacher in some capacity. Um, because there's an art to math. There, there's an art to understanding the connections between things. There's an art to cooking. There's an art to the English language. There's an art to um, 
connecting the dots scientifically in biology there, you know, and so, and so any, any teacher can just deliver the content in the book uh, so that a test can be taken and a store, a score can be achieved, but good teachers are not that way. They, they want the, the material that they're teaching to get in to the person, to become a, a part of the framework of who they are. And that's, that's art, you know, there's an art to that. And uh, so even in writing, knowing I'm writing a book about art, one of the challenges for me was I wanted to write it in such a way that it wasn't just for people who were artists, but it was for anybody and that there would be these points of connection along the way. And so in the epilogue, um, you know, the, the, the idea is that uh, we're increasingly becoming a world short on masters, you know, that we've got a lot of jack of all trade, master of none sort of situation. And I think that's part of the frenetic pace of the way we uh, consume information um, through social media and things like that, that we, that, that, uh, that, you know, every, the sound bites are quick. Uh, the word, you know, the character limits are short and, and yeah, you uh, have those studies that instead of changing jobs three times, you'll change whole careers three times across yeah, your life. Yeah. 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 And so, and yet one of the things that I think comes through from the beginning of this book to the end is that this idea of mastering something leads to joy um, that the better you become at something, the more joy you experience in doing that thing. So when somebody picks up a guitar for the first time and tries to play three chords, you know, the three chords that the entire uh, body of rock and roll has been built upon, they want to throw the instrument across the room because it's so hard to get your brain to do to your brain, to tell your fingers what they're supposed to do. But play it for three months. And before you know it, you can, you can play those three chords and you can switch between them. And it's a very different experience at that point, picking up a guitar and, and, and there's, and the mastery of the instrument is leading to a greater enjoyment of it. And uh, the Christian life is this way, you know, with the things that we kind of consider the staples of, of the Christian faith, uh, scripture reading, prayer, being part of the body of Christ. These are these are things that we don't just do, but they're things that we practice. Um, and as we practice, we become better at them. That may be a strange way to to talk about prayer. And yet at the same time, I believe it's the case, you know, that the more a person prays, the better they get at praying. Um, so one of the takeaways that I hope people would get from this book is that um, the deeper we lean in to the crafts that we're part of in our lives, uh, the greater joy we will find in them over the course of time. That there's a long view uh, to living our lives creatively and and as people who are practitioners of life itself. Yeah, I really like the way you said that. There is, um, it feels culturally like like this idea of an acquired taste is sometimes a kind of pejorative, right? That if it's if it has to be acquired, it's, it's highbrow or pretentious in some way. But there can be, I'm thinking of, of even faith in this way, that there is a kind of enjoyment that can, that can grow over time, that can be learned, that can be enriched through experience, that you can actually grow to love and care deeply about things that at first maybe didn't seem significant to you, um, seems so much like what this call to follow is, to become a, a better disciple, to, to sort of find your, your desires and values reworked through faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You you mentioned that writing is a is an art for you. Uh mm-hmm. how have spending time in the lives of these artists and maybe even the artists process as well impacted you as a writer? Well, it's been, you know, as a writer and as a storyteller, I'm always trying to figure out 
the sequence in which the in which I unfold the story for the reader. Um, but as a, as a but also as a researcher, I'm experiencing that myself as I'm doing the research. You know that the story is unfolding for me in a certain way, and so there are certain moments when I have to kind of push my chair back from the desk because I just discovered something that that in light of everything else I've been learning just kind of blew my mind. And uh, and then I think, okay, <laughs> how can I how can I give this information in in this story? in a way that will hopefully lead the reader to have a very similar experience. You know, how can I pay this out um, in a, with, with some dramatic calculation? And I don't mean manipulating people by fudging on what's true and what's not, but I mean, you know, you know it's, I mean, it's a good, it's just good storytelling is what I'm after. Um, and so, you know, it's funny. And also with, with somebody like Van Gogh, for example, Van Gogh was a fantastic writer uh, and we have, hundreds of his letters uh, still that he wrote to his brother and to other people. And you can read them online. They were uh, written in French, but, but they've been translated into English. And there's a website called Van Gogh letters where all of them are, are there and they're all translated. And he was a beautiful thinker and writer. Uh, and uh, so even in the chapter about him, there's a lot of quotes from Van Gogh in that chapter, because I just felt like the, you just you just need to hear how this man used language it's beautiful it's breathtaking um and uh, for me i i think i think you know visual art and and literature are more similar than they're different when it comes to the artistic experience of them um you know one is visual and one is you know reading words on a page but but the way that they work inside of us is is um, more similar than it is different, I think. Yeah, one of uh, one of my wife and I's favorite shows is uh, the BBC has a couple of art competitions: uh, Portrait Artist of the Year and Landscape Artist of the Year. They're, you can find a lot of the episodes on YouTube. But they'll get um, you know nine or ten, I think maybe it's twelve, the opening round artists, and they'll put them in front of a person, and they'll all do a portrait painting, and then a panel of judges will pick oh. some to advance. <clears throat> and it's really interesting to watch because you know you'll have one artist who starts off meticulous, a grid they draw and they're, you know, using very precise sketching. And then another is actually using a camera and taking a picture. And then there's always a guy on the end who's just going crazy and blocking in shapes and redoing it and taking paint off and adding paint. And I watch them work. And it's really easy for me as a writer to see, well, wait a minute, that artist, that's exactly how I approach writing or that's how I block in content and then change my mind or how, you know, one writer is really precise that there is something about the creative process itself, whether it's visual, whether it's written. Um, there's a there's a, uh, a connection there that I always find sort of um, motivating as a writer as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think um, I love just kind of I love engaging with process. You know, I have, I'm, I'm in my office right now. I'm looking at the books that I've just unpacked and there's a ton of them just on writing um, from all different kinds of perspectives. Some of them are kind of more like what you would get assigned as, as a college student and others are, you know, Stephen King, you know, writing about writing. And sure. uh, uh, I think even if we only have like a, a few, if we have our own particular process, it still is tremendously beneficial to learn about other people's processes. Um, I had a, at our church uh, the other day, we had, um, Russell Moore came in and spoke to our congregation for a while on the intersection of faith and politics. And he had this um, black, you know, binder with his notes in it that he carried up and, and opened up on the, on the uh, lectern and, and 
you know, was flipping through. And when it was over, uh, I went over and I said, let me see that (laughs) because I want to see what you're looking at when you're talking. And it was very different from what I use when I speak. Um, and yet it was endlessly fascinating for me to see, um, you know, cause, cause it's a, it's a job we both do. And that is we both walk up to a, a lectern and speak for 30 minutes and we both carry things with us to speak from. And, uh, and I was just, I'm endlessly fascinated by that kind of thing always. Yeah. Well, the book is a, uh, it's a great example of, of an appreciation of art. It's a great example of writing itself. I've said this to you before. Russ is a great writer. If you've not had a chance to read his works. And, uh, I mentioned, uh, to Russ by email, it's, it's March. It's awfully early to be putting a book on my favorite reads of the year, but I'm pretty sure Rembrandt is in the wind. will be on it. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. The book is out March 22nd. So it'll be out the end of this month. And uh, Russ, again, I want to make sure if people, of course, buy the book anywhere you buy books, but if they're interested in just following you and maybe learning some art appreciation from you as well, too, uh, just the best way for them to be able to keep up with the work you're doing and learn more about uh, these Art Wednesdays and the the art writing that you've been doing. Yeah, the best way to do that would be to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, That's where I post. uh, And generally, if I post one uh, I post to all three of them, but basically the same content, but yeah, every Wednesday I'll take you through some sort of, um, meditation on, on art. I'll show about nine paintings over the course of the day that'll be connected thematically in some way or another. So last week's art Wednesday was all about a, a single painting, um, uh, which is featured in the book. Uh, before that, there was one on the life of Christ for Ash Wednesday. And, you know, I've, I've had ones on paintings that have been stolen and never recovered, uh, paintings on art on, uh, or a series on painting technique, you know, things like that, 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 so it's a range of different topics, but every Wednesday, um, that's, that's what I've got going on. So on Instagram, you can find me, um, Russ Ramsey one on Instagram and, and, uh, I forget what I am on Twitter, but you, we know how to search. Yeah, you, you guys know how to, you know, how to. <laughs> I'll put links up as well, too. And uh, I'd say even if you're not, uh, you wouldn't count yourself uh, an art fan yourself. Go do a follow. Pick up some of the skills. You might surprise yourself. Some of the things that will resonate with you or stand out to you. And um, yeah. that's how this this acquisition of taste, this uh, acquired taste begins. It's just a, an entry point into it. And I think Russ does that with this book. He does it with the work he does ongoing. And I'm so grateful for it. So, Russ, thanks for all the hard work I know you put into it. And uh, looking forward to many more Art Wednesdays to come. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Good to be with you today. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 177. I've got a link there to Russ's book, as well as the uh, ability to follow him on Instagram if you're interested in those Art Wednesday lessons that we discussed in our conversation. Also, if you haven't had a chance to review the podcast, it would mean a lot to me. You can do that wherever you listen to podcasts. Click either a star rating or leave a short review. And if you haven't already, pick up a copy of The Five Masculine Instincts. I've been getting reviews on that book as well, too. And it's been a lot of fun to see uh, how the book is impacting readers. I'd love for you to be one of those readers as well. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.